You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Would you do this? Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians and chapter 7? That is where we are going to focus the majority of our attention this morning, and in particular on one verse. And our, our focus uh, towards the uh, towards the second half, if you will, of the message will be on these seven results of biblical repentance. And we're going to see that in Scripture. But before we do, I want to make an announcement. And it's, a, it's great. It's in your notes. You can, you can take note of it. The awesome news about Christianity is that it is the provision God himself has made in his son, Jesus Christ, for our regrets. Amen? We've been talking about this idea of God's prescription for resolving our regrets. And ultimately, aren't you glad it can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ himself? He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who is drawing us to himself. And repentance is, is yes, it is unto salvation. But I'm grateful today also, as I repented of my sins and trusted Christ in that one-time awesome experience that changed my life forever, that there has been repentance unto sanctification as well. And I'm going to uh, reflect back on that in just a moment. My life today is a result of repentance. And I, I found that in the grace of God. And I'm, I'm excited to share these things. The ultimate goal we're trying to understand this morning is that when repentance is in the heart, that there are going to be things in that person that will change. There will be things that that person is engaged in. If we say we're sorry, if we really are sorry, we're, we're going to do some things. There's going to be some fruits of our repentance. There's going to be some actions that are involved in that. I love Acts chapter 26 and, and verse number 20. If you look at it on the screen, it speaks about that they declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God. And then that statement, performing deeds when they return to God, when they repent and turn to God, the result of that, the fruit of that will be performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. And so this morning, I want to challenge all of us as we ultimately look at what the scriptures say these fruits will be and how does that look in our lives. And we're going to challenge each other this morning. I'm praying that God will open our hearts and minds <clears throat> to the truth here and that this sermon will go way beyond today. I'm sure I'll not do it justice. There's so much more that we can accomplish in our personal studies, in our discipleship groups, which, by the way, I'm hearing some awesome things from you. My wife is just exploding with excitement as she meets with her group. I met with Jim. He had his whole group hanging out uh, with Jason and uh, Mark and Calvin. And they were just saying, man, we are so pumped. I'm hearing this from multiple of you that are already meeting together in your discipleship groups. But let me go beyond that. Your small groups, another great place to discuss. Um, we have other groups that get together during the week. Listen, may this become something we discuss, we talk about, we share with one another, we open up. It'll make it so much more exciting. Now, our main text is 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So I'd like to read that text if, if I could this morning. One of the things here that, one of the dangers of reading a text of 11 verses is that I would, uh, I would lose someone, that someone wouldn't, wouldn't pay close attention. Enjoy, engage yourself in the text. 
enjoy the text. Let the text speak to you. And then we're going to look back in a moment at at how all this came about. So look at verse 1 with me. I'm going to read it. uh, Maybe as even they would have read it to the church at Corinth. Verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We we have wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've, We've taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you, for I said before that that you're in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort in all of our affliction. I am overflowing with, with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God... Boy, I always love it when there's a but God in the story. Who comforts the downcast? He comforted us, and he did it by the coming of Titus. Then notice in verse 7, and not only by Titus's coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. You, you helped Titus. You blessed Titus, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it. Well, though I did regret it, I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Now pay close attention to the key verse, the one we'll be focusing on. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. Look at the fruits, the the actions this godly grief has produced in you. But also, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What what indignation, what what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. In fact, at every point, at, at every point, everywhere I look, you've actually proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Thank you for listening to God's word this morning. And may it speak to all of us this morning in a powerful way. So as we begin to discover the results of 1 Corinthians, let's go back for just a moment. And again, stay with me and enjoy this teaching here for just a moment as we look back to 1 Corinthians, a very interesting letter that Paul wrote. He had gotten some news from the household of Chloe. And, and, and that, Chloe, my daughter, I, when I say that name, I think about you, honey. So Chloe's household had kind of informed Paul about some issues in the church. There were other sources as well that informed Paul about what was happening in the church at Corinth. And 1 Corinthians becomes this very frank, open discussion with the church about the problem they were having with sin in their midst. Paul did not turn a blind eye towards the relational division they were having. And it was a lot. Paul did not turn a blind eye towards the gross immorality that was inside the church. Paul actually addressed it head on. 
And I think that's significant for us to just kind of take a moment, although we're not going to you know, re- really pursue that thought. I think it would be uh, just for a few seconds, maybe just to take that in, that Paul, he, he addressed it. He, he, was, he was aggressive in his address of this sin within the church. And so if you remember in 1 Corinthians, uh, as we discussed this, he really, if I can just say it like this, he ripped into them. I mean, he dealt with how they were not dealing with sin in their midst. And it was painful for Paul to deal with this. It was painful for him and it was painful for them. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I want you to notice on the screen, I just have a couple of verses there for your, for your help here. It says, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you, for if I cause you pain, the, these words are indicative of what really this letter produced. I mean, it was painful. It was, have you ever had to go to someone, and it's just it's difficult to talk to someone about things sometimes that are going on in, in, in their life, maybe in your life, or maybe there's something that needs to be reconciled between you and another person, and it, it sometimes takes some courage, some boldness, right, to address those issues, and Paul was willing to do that. And so, he addresses this, obviously, 1 Corinthians, the entire book was really a rebuke. And the whole letter of 1 Corinthians was a letter that made the church sorry. It caused them to repent of the many things they were doing wrong inside the church. Just a quick review of those things, some of those things quickly. There's more, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1 dealt with, Paul was dealing with favoritism that was being shown in the church. He was dealing with divisions that were inside the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, he began to deal with the carnality of these Christians that they, they weren't growing. He referred to them as babes, just desiring milk. And he wanted to give them meat, but he couldn't. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6, he deals with, whew, I mean, take a deep breath. He deals with immorality in the church, adultery, fornication. All kinds of sexual perversion in the church. A man actually sleeping with his father's wife. I mean, it was awful. I mean, things that even those outside the church would, 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 would call gross and sinful. Inside the church, it seemed as if they were becoming okay with it and rationalizing these things. In, verse, in chapter 7, he dealt with marriage issues, problems in the church. In verse Corinthians 8, verses 10, Paul dealt with excessive liberty and, and stumbling blocks. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, they were, there was drunkenness within the church. It was an abuse of alcohol, and it was actually messing up the way they would take the Lord's Supper. Paul dealt with that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, Paul was dealing with the abuse of spiritual gifts and, and the misuse of those gifts. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, they were not understanding the teaching about the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus, the foundation really of all that we believe is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, amen. And they were, they were mishandling that doctrine. And Paul was addressing it. In 1 Corinthians 16, he addressed the problems of giving within the church and the treatment of those that were in leadership or the mistreatment of those in leadership. At the end of the day, he concluded sternly, very sternly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, he says this, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 
I mean, listen, this was a tough letter. This was tough. But Paul didn't back down. This church was in a mess. And I really believe that the main issue, which we will come back to for just a moment, was in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and, and some of the sexual immorality that it involved. But what I'd like to do now is just turn your attention to these results of this letter that Paul wrote. And I want to take some time just to break this down. The results of the letter. Before we get to, to the text that we're going to focus on, before we really arrive to these genuine marks or results of repentance, which are life-changing, they were to me, and they are to me, and I hope they will be to you and continue to be to you. Let's just break down the results of this letter that Paul wrote. Number one, I want you to see in the text, they had an earnest desire to see Paul again. Paul refers to that in 2 Corinthians. Look, if you would, please, for a moment in verse number six and seven. But God, who comforts the downcast, he comforted us by coming, by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the coming with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing. You can see Paul is excited about the fact that they, they longed to see Paul again. And Titus was encouraged. And Titus went back to Paul and said, Paul, I got some good news. These folks are longing to, to, to get back with you, to, to, to have fellowship with you again. It's amazing. Paul, that, that letter, there's been a lot of work that's been done. And the grace of God is, is overwhelming the church. There's, there's reckless love. <laughs> They're experiencing the reckless love of Christ. Amen. And they were excited. And I know I'm just reading into that and sharing kind of a, almost a modern day moment for us just a moment ago as we gathered together as a church. And, and you know, have you ever experienced that longing, that earnest desire to see someone after there's been a problem? I see here an energetic, sustained effort to fix the problem, to fix the failure. And that's what Titus noticed here. There was an energy there was a, a sustained effort. This wasn't something that was just like here today, gone tomorrow. This was something that was lasting. It was proving to be something that was not just a, oh, I'm sorry, let's get over it and it happens again. There was a longing. They longed. There was an earnest desire. Secondly, if you would notice, by the way, let me say this. I, I, wrote, I jotted down a quick note that I just noticed I didn't mention. And that was just a reminder about the prodigal son. A beautiful story. But do you remember there was a moment in the prodigal son's life, and I jotted it down this morning as it came to my recollection, where it says, he arose and came to his father. I love that. I know we often talk about the father had open arms and was waiting for him. But I love the fact that also the son, he arose and said, I want to go, I want to see my dad again. Man, I got things right. I'm I'm willing to, man, I'm willing to. To be one of his servants. I don't even have to be one of the main people. I just want to to see my dad again. And he arose. We see that fruit of his repentance there. And then secondly, they had mourned over their sin. Look at verse 7. As he told us of your longing, your mourning. There was a mourning over their sin, a grief. Literally, that word means soul pain internal hurting. Were there tears? Well, I don't know. You're not repentant because you cry, and you're not unrepentant because you don't. 
I'm not encouraging you this morning to overtrust tears. What I am saying is there will be mourning. There will be grief. With biblical repentance, there is mourning. A repentant heart often begins with grief. And, and, and Paul is told by Titus, listen, there's mourning. There's an earnest desire, to, a longing to be with you. There's a mourning over their sin. And notice number three, they had rekindled their love for Paul. I love the way it's said here. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, and then he gets excited. Your, your zeal for me. And then notice at the end of the verse, it actually says, so that I rejoiced even more. You thought I was excited about your longing and your mourning? When I heard you were pumped to see me, your zeal for me, I rejoiced even more. Man, I tell you, sometimes in my own life, I'm thinking back to relational issues where maybe struggles we've had through 32 years of marriage and times when I don't know that you've been too happy when I've come home. You know? I mean, the the tension's there. It's just like, oh, man, I hope we can... I just can't wait till she greets me with a kiss again, you know. (laughs) Or maybe my children, when I knew, you know, it, it just, you know, they... They knew daddy was coming home to take care of some issues, and they weren't too excited to see me. There was no zeal to see dad. Or maybe a friendship. You know, you walk into church, and you're like, man, I just kind of hope I don't see that person. <laughs> Are you with me? Are we okay? You see where I'm going with this? When there is that repentance and reconciliation, there's a the desire for reconciliation. And we long to see that person. We're, we're, we're zealous about that relationship. And, and, and that's why it's so important to have unity in the church and that we're constantly going to one another and following God's pattern for reconciliation and for restoring our relationships and our marriages and our relationship with our children. They had rekindled their love for Paul. Notice number four. They had repented and dealt with the offender. Now take, take a moment with me. We're going to look at some scripture here in 2 Corinthians a little bit earlier on. But notice in verse 8 it says, for even if I grieve, if I made you grieve with my letter... Speaking of 1 Corinthians, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. Now, there was a lot of issues in the church, but specifically there was a very deep-seated, deep-rooted issue. There was someone that was actually, I mean, it was brought up specifically in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians that there was this issue of a man who was just, it was well known in the church that that, that this gross immorality was taking place. So follow along with me a very enlightening passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And again, enjoy God's word with me. Look at verse 1. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. We referred to that earlier. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote you out of much affliction. I wrote you out of much anguish of heart. Man, I, I wrote this letter with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. 
So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. Speaking of that man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it it seems very clearly here that, that he was overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. So I beg you, Paul says, reaffirm your love for him. It appears here that the punishment had, had continued after he had repented. And we all understand that sometimes it takes a while to be trusted again. And there's a process. And sometimes there's a restoration that takes quite a bit of time. But I love the fact that they dealt with it. They dealt with it. And Paul acknowledged that they dealt with the one. And, and they had, but but there had not been as much love given to that one. And I love the fact that Paul mentions here. I think it's beautiful because I've needed this love before. Hey, don't forget. Make sure he knows he's loved. Make sure he knows he's accepted in that process of repentance and restoration. Isn't that beautiful? I thought, I, I thought that just encouraged me this morning. Number five, they desired to clear themselves with men and with God. We're seeing here the results of Paul's letter to the church here. Notice, if you would, in verse number 11, and we'll be here for a while in verse 11, just for about two, three minutes, for see what, your, what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves. Repentance is horizontal, and repentance is vertical. You can't neglect either and expect to really change. We've seen that in in several other moments through this series. We've seen it. We've we've heard it. We've we've seen it. We've witnessed it even in a a video of a pastor that we saw earlier on in the series, and David Ann Wilson, and he actually said himself, I knew that, that I couldn't just get this right. I had to get this right. But it could be reversed. I couldn't get just this right. I had to get this right. It could go either way. And so we see here the importance of, of clearing ourselves with God and with man. And they had done that. And then notice number six, they showed indignation at the sin instead of being puffed up. I love this. It's, it's a great example. We're going to look at it more closely in a moment. See what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation. Church, when we are choosing to sin, have you ever noticed how determined we are? Have you ever noticed that when we choose to sin, we're overconfident that we can handle it? I got this. It's not a big deal. It's only going to happen once. I'm going to be okay. But when we repent, all of that goes away. All of that goes away. And we come to the cross, and we, we recognize that, you know, it, it's, only, it's only in the strength of Jesus Christ that we can overcome these difficulties. And we begin to rest in him and trust him and believe that he is the only one that can rescue us from our from our self-righteousness, from our own ways. There, there is a way which seemeth right to a man, but, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We turn from that and we, but, and we become indignant against that. Number seven, they feared lest God would deal with them. Notice again in the text, it, it says what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear. Repentance that leads to salvation is turning from my sin. There's a healthy fear and understanding that if I don't turn from my sin unto salvation, repent, turn to Christ, embrace Jesus by faith, then I would die and spend an eternity apart from my Savior, apart from God in hell. 
Man, there's a healthy fear in that, and they showed that fear. And, and, and even as a believer, as we think about repentance and the sanctification, I think it's, it's healthy for us to, to fear the damage that can be done and the consequences of continuing in our sin, what that could look like for our godly heritage, what that could look like in our families, in our marriages, just, just causing us to understand, wow, man, I'm considering these things as, as I repent. And then notice, finally, number eight, the desire to obey God with strong determination. And I love that. We see it in verse 11, just at the end, the last part of the verse where it says, at every point you have proved yourselves innocent in this matter. Man, they had a plan. They had a plan to get this taken care of. And Paul was so excited about that. He said, you know what? In addition to all these things, in addition to everything I've mentioned, at every point, it's amazing. I mean, everywhere I look, it's just evident that you are doing everything you can to prove yourselves innocent in this matter. They went to whatever extent it would take. That's why I'm thankful today. I'm, I want to say I'm proud of you guys here today. Just for a moment, just for, for you guys that are in Gethsemane House, doing what it takes to get things right. And, and sometimes we're grateful today that God has, God has, God has got some, some churches and some some organizations and some ministry outreaches and things that that people can go to and run to. I had a lady call me this, or a man call me this week and and just ask me, hey, is there a place in town? Is there somewhere we can go for our our alcohol issues? We just need to be accountable. That's a good thing. We sent them a list of all the Celebrate Recoveries in town and other organizations and also told them about our Celebrate Recovery starting up soon. It was exciting. You know, before I move into these fruits of repentance, before we dive into this and, and move forward, I want to just draw your attention to a letter that I received this week. How many of you remember a young man that went to college here, he was actually on staff for a little while, he pastors a church now. Just out of curiosity in the audience today, how many remember a man by the name of Aaron Weedo? Would you raise your hand for just a moment? Wow, it's a lot of people still, about half the church, and at least in the second service. It was about the same in the first service. Aaron Weedo. Aaron sent me a, a, a letter, an email this week, and I, I got permission to read it. It actually says, Dear Preacher and Gospelite Baptist Church Family. What I love about this letter is, and Aaron's been pastoring the church for 10 years, doing good work for the Lord. I'm so proud of him. He's a, he's a, he's a great, great friend, great young man, exciting graduate of Champion. But I wanted to read you this because it, it just shares his testimony. He thanks the church, but I, I love to see the energy in this letter of how he came to Christ and turned from his sin. Just, just listen. Wow. September the 15th, 2006. It's really been a decade and a half since I received Christ as my Savior. The story of God's grace and mercy toward me is truly amazing. Let me start out by saying I was raised in a godly home, a good church. I attended a Christian school. At a young age, I made a profession of faith in Christ. However, as I grew older into my teenage years, I tried to hide the sin in my life because I wanted to please everyone around me. Due to my foolishness and sinful pride, I was not seeing that God was not pleased with me and that I could not hide my evil ways from him. So in the late 90s, God placed Gospelite on my heart and in my life and began to work on me through their ministry. And although their love and motivation had a major impact on me, as much as I, I, in quotes, tried, I couldn't seem to do the right thing on my own. The Lord began the process of humbling me and stripping away the things that I was holding on to instead of him. I left Hot Springs and continued along this downward path for several years. The Lord is so good and merciful in not giving me what I deserved. In 2005, the Lord burdened my dad to reach out to me. Through this and several other events, the Lord caused me to examine my life. And I realized how miserable I'd become following my own ways and how 
change needed to happen. I realized I desperately needed God in my life and began to seek after him. And that same week, God led me back to Hot Springs to Gospelite and to Champion. It was during that time that the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin, convinced me of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I saw God for how good he is, and I repented and accepted Christ as my Savior. What a change that took place there in my life as Christ saved me and began sanctifying my life and called me to serve him. He says, today, my wife Amy and I, and that's the only part of the letter that I always have to read and say, well, I guess it's good, because Amy was my secretary. And she was an awesome secretary. But I got, a, I got an awesome secretary now. And I would have never had my secretary now had Aaron not married Amy. But he said, now Amy and I are, we have five children. And we're serving the Lord down in Cajun country, Louisiana. And he says, thank you for your faithful investment in our family. And I thought that was such an encouraging letter. If you know her, and maybe it means a little bit more to you. But also I want to encourage you with the fact that, man, God is at work. And, and, and who's to know that in this room right now, including myself, at some, at some stage even in my life as I preach this message, I begin to understand how important it is to, to, to live a life of repentance and understanding the grace of God. So let's look now at these eight marks of biblical repentance, shall we? And let's do again, just refer back to this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Because that's what we're moving away from in this series. Regret and remorse because worldly grief produces death. And that's regret and remorse, which we're moving away from. And we want to see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. That is repentance. So, with that said, verse 11 again. Take a look at it on the screen, and we're going to dive in for the last few moments of the message. Here it is. Verse 11. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you prove yourselves innocent in this matter. So let's take a moment and look at these eight results of biblical repentance. Let's break down the text and enjoy it together. Number one, notice that part of the text, what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. We're new creatures. We're new creatures. This, this grace that God has given us gives us a new carefulness. Not a new carelessness, but a new carefulness. Not a winking at sin, but an earnest desire to bear forth the fruits of repentance. Being careful, being cautious. Sin anymore to us is not just, you know, it's no big deal and, you know, get over it and and what's the problem? And that wasn't, you know, man, listen, it could could have been worse. It changes. Now there's a carefulness. There's a cautiousness. In fact, I've got to each one of these points three things for you to consider, almost as just a way to help us in a teaching way. Look at these three things that this carefulness might cause us to, to be. Are you careful to do what's right? Are you careful to, are you eager rather to make it right? And then thirdly, do you avoid doing it again? This is carefulness. You know, I met a a young man this week in our church, had a great meeting. He came to office, I think it was Thursday. And he he, he just, we shared together a a wonderful time. And he said, preach, I just want to share with you a little bit about what God's doing in my heart as I and reminded, and, and, and we've gone through this series, and I'm trying to rid myself of regret. The area that God's been dealing with me is in my finances. 
And I began to regret just the fact that I've, I've not been faithful in my giving and my tithing in the past. And, and I've just, you know, I, every time an elder testimony is given, it's difficult sometimes to deal with that, you know, because I, but, but what I saw God doing in his heart as he shared with me a desire to get it right and to be careful about his finances. And he began to give, begin to tithe, begin to be faithful. And he said, it's been so refreshing. And even though he said, sometimes I look at my, my finances and I think, I, I don't see how I can do this. I, I look at what I need to pay my bills and I look at what I need to give to God or what, you know, what, I, what I know is, uh, is, is, is what God is leading me to give and I look at those two things and I'm struggling but I know I need to be careful about this and, and, and give. So he gives and he said, and preacher, this week I've got a new job interview and the possibility for a new job and more money and God is blessing. Isn't that exciting? What I'm saying to you is this. Notice the carefulness there. Paying closer attention to things and, and being more, but that's a good thing. And then secondly, I want you to see the, the words, what eagerness to clear yourselves. And I have down here, there is a new confession. Because when you are really repentant, you have a strong need to tell people who you really are. I mean, you, you, listen, repentant people are messy to be around. We just are. You know, that's why sometimes men, could I address us for a second? Men's, men's groups can sometimes be a, a little less transparent than ladies' groups. It's just kind of in the DNA of the, of the genders, you know? I mean, it's tough. I tell you, when I, when I first, when God started first changing me, and if you've been a member of this church for a long time, you would say, wow, uh, you know, preacher's not... He doesn't come across as a, as, a, as a superhero, as somebody that's arrived or attained. He's, he sees he's someone who, I mean, he puts his dirty laundry out there sometimes. Yeah, I've, I've learned that when you really repent, it gets a little messy sometimes. Women sometimes, in fact, my wife has been an incredible mentor to me in this area. And she could tell you, she's seen me struggle with this. You know, honey, do you have to tell it all? Do you have to, sh- I, mean, I mean, it just... I mean, she, she, whether it was her sickness that she was bearing, all, whether it was a, a, a period of a wayward son in our family, whether it was just struggles in our own marriage or whatever, the closer she, the more repentant she became, the more confession there was in her life. And I learned from that, and I struggled with it. And I'm not there yet. I still, at times, I still, I tend, I need help in this area. I'm, I'm much better, though, because of her example to me. And, and, and I want you to know something. It can get messy sometimes when we are open. When we really confess, when we really get things right, we want, we want what we did and how God redeemed us and reconciled us and, and either saved us or, or cleansed us or brought us to a better place or restored us. We want to share that and let our testimony become an example to help someone else. That's exciting. And so you have something that is in your life that maybe you're just like, I don't, I just don't want to, I don't want to share it. I want to, I want to try to cover it or I encourage you today. Look at these thoughts about confession. Three things. You disapprove of the sin. You disapprove of it. You also earnestly apologize specifically for what it is. You get specific about it. It's not just, you know, well, I, you know, I Sorry, I, I didn't do this or didn't. No, no, you're, you're specific about it. Hey, I, I apologize. Darren, I, 
I forgot to, you know, I've just neglected giving you that $100 back, and I'm I'm sorry. It wasn't right. I neglected. I knew I should have. I want to give it back to you and give you a little bit more, you know, just because I want to make sure. I I just, I earnestly, I don't try to deny the guilt. Well, it's no big deal. Come on, man. You got the money. What? You don't need my money. Come on, man. Get over it. I know I promised you, but hey, kind of, give me a little slack. You know, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not making excuses for it. And that was a silly example, but I'm, I'm trying to help us to understand this idea of a new confession. In fact, next week, we're going to be in Psalm 38. If you want to go there and read a little bit in advance, Psalm 38 is a psalm of David. And he, he opens his heart, he bears his soul, and it is messy. I mean, I was reading it in the last few weeks, and, and as I came and really began to absorb the truth there, I was like, woo, man. I mean... My wife would love this psalm. <laughs> it's just all there. It's wide open. David's just bearing his heart. And I think we can learn from that. What confession? A new confession. Then what indignation? Number three. And I have here for this a new concern. A new concern. Indignation now with themselves. An anger at their own sin rather than those around them. A mourning over their own sin, indignant over the consequences of their own sin. Notice with me some of the things I've written down to help us get there and and, and to work towards that would be you're mad at the sinful act, thought, or feeling. I think sometimes it's good for us to, to get angry at our sin. Just, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm done with this. I, I gave this illustration this morning. I, I don't know if, if, if Nick's here. This, Nick, are you in the building? Nick, do you remember when you got so angry with your sin and you, you just opened it, opened up at, on that beach and threw your phone into, almost threw your phone into the ocean? You remember that? I'll never forget it. Nick was so angry. He said, I'm just, sometimes I think we need to get so angry about maybe, maybe just cut that credit card up. <laughs> I'm just trying to spin in this. I just keep, cut it up. Honey, here's the phone. I just, I'm struggling with this. Just keep it, keep it away from me. I need help. I think there's, there's, there's something about that indignation, a new concern. Notice you're angry over the sin. You're more sensitive towards the issue now. You're just more sensitive to it. it I'm not saying we ever... Uh, necessarily are, are, we don't struggle with that sin. We don't still have issues with that sin. But, but we're, we're more sensitive now towards that sin. Notice next, what fear? There's a new conviction. A conviction, a healthy fear of God, a, a healthy fear of the consequences of our sin, a healthy fear of the falling back into that sin, of potentially disgracing the grace of God. And there is a, a longing now. You have a hunger for a deep relationship with God. You have a desire to do what's right. You recognize the human at- impact of your sin and you have compassion. There is a, a longing. Or excuse me, a, uh, what fear? A new, there's a conviction. I moved forward there. I apologize for that. Looking at my notes. Let me, let me, let me share this with you on the, on the longing. I was thinking about this. This week, I had camp a week ago, not this week, but a week ago, and I have a practice that, that I use to help me um, in, in, in traveling, especially when my wife is not with me. I know I'm prone to wander. I know that the devil has a target on me in every 
one of us, especially I would think those that pastor and have influence, and, and, and I understand that. And, and so I have a practice. I'm not suggesting this for anyone else. This is how, how I've long learned to do this. I, I get my, uh, walk into the room. I was there for four nights, and uh, I get on my knees. This is before I do anything, before I turn on a light, before I hook up to the Internet, you know, as you do when you go to a room, you hook up to the Internet, you know, to, to get the Wi-Fi. This is before I do anything. I get on my knees, and I just say, God, I'm going to be here for four nights, and I want to honor you in this motel room by myself. I know I'm alone. I know I'm going to be tempted. There's no question. God, I know Satan has all kinds of plans to destroy my marriage, my life, my ministry. And, Lord, I'd rather have my wife here with me, but I don't, and I I need you to help me. So, God, I dedicate the Internet to you today. I dedicate the Wi-Fi to you today. It's your Wi-Fi. It's not mine. I'm going to use it properly. God, by your, with your strength, I'm going to do that. I want to commit that to you, God. I want you to help me. God, I commit that television. If I turn it on, Father, may it, may it only be to, to, to honor you and, 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 and to catch up on something, but, but not to do anything I shouldn't do. Father, I, I just dedicate the next, the next four nights. And then the week ended a week ago, and Friday came. I, I left at about 8.30 to go preach at the camp, the final of eight, eight messages. And I got on my knees again. And I said, thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. I just want to thank you for helping me, God. I, I know I couldn't have done it without you. It's, it's been, a, it's been a, I've missed my family. I've missed my wife. I've missed our church. I, but it's been a great week of camp, and I just want to thank you, God, for helping me. God, I, I, want, I want to do the right things. I want to have a conviction. I want to have a healthy fear of what could happen, the consequences of, of my sin, what it could bring about. And so I think that's healthy. You say, Pastor, I mean, are you really fearful that, that, that you might do some of those things? No, no, I, I know I could. Guaranteed. I mean, there, there is absolutely a, 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 a good, more than 50% chance that I could fall into, and I just use that as, a, I should probably even said 50%. It might even be more than that. If I am not cautious and concerning and confessing and have conviction, what earnestness, what eagerness, what indignation, what fear, what longing... Let's talk about that for a moment. A new compulsion. This is a new compulsion. This compulsion is a desire for restoration and reconciliation with God and with others. This is a desire to do anything that I need to do to accomplish relational renewal in in any relationship. I was thinking this week about, uh, this week was a great week for me of just God showing his influence in our church and his power in our church. But a a, a young lady called me, uh, I think it was Tuesday, and she said, I'd like to meet with you and my parents. I haven't talked to them in weeks, and I'm asking God to help reconcile our relationship. So we met together. She came first. We talked. Her parents came next. I was just there. I just sat as a mediator. I said a few things, but I watched God begin a process of reconciliation, and it began with her compulsion to desire that. She, she, she knew she needed it, and whether her parents needed it or not, she knew she needed it, and we began that conversation. And guess what? At the end of it, they said, can we, can we do this some more? I don't know that this did it. I think we took a right step, but can we meet again? I said, sure, we'll meet as often as we need to. This is beautiful. This is what God desires, and, and sure, we'll, we'll take some more time. Let's just get with me next week, and let's work this out. I love that. To me, that's a testimony of how God is working and repentance is bearing its fruit in that relationship. Next, what zeal? What zeal? Meaning this, maybe, a new commitment, a new 
passion for serving God. I have this on the screen. It's just some ideas about this, this zeal, a new passion for serving God in the local church. It's exciting. I mean, there's a zeal to want to get back involved. You know, I've been on the sidelines for a while and maybe I haven't been as involved and I've, I've struggled, and, but I want to get back involved. I, I want to find my place again in the local church. What can I do? Maybe there's a, an increase in your commitment for the Lord. Just an increase. It shows up in your zeal. It's obvious. You, you, you want to be in a discipleship group or, or go to small group. or I mean, these, this is the desire that you have to be more committed to God in your devotions, in your giving, maybe in just obedience. And then you're consumed with wanting to pursue holiness. A new passion for living right, for God's glory, and for those you love. Amen? And then number seven, what punishment? What punishment? He speaks here of, I believe, a new conscience. A readiness to right the wrongs by making restitution. A readiness to do that. A desire to do that. You have a desire on the screen, three things, to see justice done. You want to do everything you can to make restitution. You desire to restore more than it was before. This is a new conscience. And then finally, and maybe most excitingly, I'm just going to take a moment if you guys don't mind. Forgive me. I'm going to mute this. Hey, all right, good. I'm, I'm better now. And at every point, I love this, and at every point, you have proved yourself innocent in this matter. What I see here is a new commendation, a new praise. I mean, there is praise here from the Apostle Paul to the church. He's like, guys, man, this is great. And that's what I want to say to all of you. This is great. To that young lady, this is great. Man, this is what God wants to that young man who's giving. This is what God wants. This is great. I praise you. It looks like you're trying to do everything you can do. And you're responding to conviction and the repentance of God, is, or your repentance towards God, in, in responding to the grace of God, the love of God in your life at every point, I, I, everywhere I look. As I mentioned earlier, man, I'm willing to cut that credit card up. I'm willing to go to CR if that's what it takes. I'm, I'm willing to delete that app. I'm willing to, to be careful about spending too much time with that friend because every time I'm with that friend, I do really bad things. And so there's a plan. There's a plan put in place because when repentance is genuine, we always see a plan coming together to get things right. Now, church... I want to make sure all of us know that this is only possible through the resurrection power that keeps us growing in all of these areas. I love that song, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. Amen. Every morning is a resurrection for me. Every morning I I get up from the ashes of of the mistakes that I make and I realize that today I can I can walk and pursue Christ in holiness because of his resurrection power in me so as we get a hold of that truth as we begin to rest in the strength of God and understand that it is in the power of his strength that we can we can accomplish these things let me encourage you church to examine your heart this morning examine your life are you bearing the fruit of biblical repentance, of genuine repentance? Do you see some of these things in your life? 
And if, if not, would you join me? Notice me. There, there's some things that I, I don't think are 2020 in my life. I, I think there's some blurry areas that I need. I, I need to respond. And I respond by giving my heart to Christ this morning. I open my heart. I open my hands and I say, God, here's my heart. Speak truth. Speak to me. Show me, God. Do I need to get saved today? Is that, is that it? Have I never truly repented and turned from my sin? Am I just playing games with this thing? Am I just, have I, has there never really been a time in my life where I've, I've fully repented and turned to you and you alone? If that's you, open your eyes today to the love of Christ, to Calvary, to the cross, to the blood that Jesus shed to wash away your sins and may today be the day. Aaron mentioned, I grew up in church. I had a Christian family, yet he didn't know Christ. Is that you? And maybe you're here today and, and you believe in Jesus. You've repented of your sins for salvation. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. But there's some areas in your life that need reconciled, restored, relationships. Some of this isn't right. And I I promise then this isn't right. So what is it today that God is speaking to you about? Would you respond as we sing, as we pray together in this song? Would you respond by taking a moment and reflecting and praying and asking God to show you? Father, may my life be a light to those around me and if that means I need to repent today of some things and begin to look more like Jesus in this process I'm willing to do that shall we pray together church let's bow our heads Father thank you so much for the opportunity to open God's word to share the scriptures with your people Father I pray that you would just speak to us this morning Lord truth truth and love which is the only way that you speak truth. And Father, may we respond in a way that would please you, Father. God, the areas of our lives where we have been disobedient, where we have made excuses, where we have rationalized our sin away, God, may you correct us. And Lord, may we rid our lives of regret and remorse and do it with repentance. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for how you blessed us, Father, with so many opportunities and God may we take advantage of this opportunity today may we walk in truth may this discussion not be over today but may it linger throughout the week as we go deeper into your word God bring us to a place this morning where our hearts are tender God we open our hearts we open our lives and we ask you God to do something that only you can do I love you, Jesus. love our church. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand together?